You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Hello, Brains On listeners. It is me, a robot. Have you ever thought to yourself, I am a human and therefore have likes and dislikes? I, a human, like Brains On. But... There are not nearly enough robots on this audio program. Have you thought that, human? I bet you have. Well, we have a treat for your left inferior prefrontal cortex. Today, the Brains on Audio program is featuring robots. And not just any robots but robots recorded live on a stage at the Cambridge Science Festival in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Please enjoy. Hello. <laughs> testing. Testing. Zero one. Zero one. This is a joke. Why was the robot always angry? Because people kept pushing its buttons. Ha ha, ha ha. Ha, 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 ha. Um, Mark, did, did you plan this? I have no idea what's going on there, Molly. Hello, I am an entertaining robot programmed to entertain you. Oh. Here is another joke. What is a robot's favorite snack? What is a robot's favorite snack? Mixed nuts and bolts. Ha, 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 ha. I am so funny. Did you hear the one about the robot who lived to be 100 years old? It was so old, it needed a gearing aid. Ah, 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 LOL. Don't forget to tip your servers. Computer servers. Ah, 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 I am so funny. Ah, 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 ah. Okay, Sandin. It's time to start the real show now. That is amazing. How'd you know it was me, you guys? That was such uh, a good robot impression. I have no way that you could have guessed that. Well, it's pretty easy with your, st- your joke stylings. They are pretty bad. Pretty bad jokes. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I'll give you that. I love bad jokes, but I also love robots. I mean, they're so cool. They have all these really neat parts. There's great technology behind them, and they just have these really cool specific functions. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Yeah, who doesn't love robots? Uh, I'm going to have to confess that I'm not a super fan of all robots. I mean, they're, they kind of creep me out. They are sort of human, but sort of not. Yeah. They're just, just creepy. Okay, well, we're going to meet a couple decidedly non-creepy robots today that might help you change your mind a little bit. But, oh, guys, if you haven't guessed yet, we are the Brains on Team. I'm Molly Bloom. I'm Mark Sanchez. And I'm Sandin Totten. And this is Robot Extravaganza. You're listening to Brains On. I'm Molly Bloom. And I am still a robot. We're excited to be bringing you some of our Robot Stravaganza show. It was recorded live in April in the Boston area in front of hundreds of humans of varying sizes. But like everything we do on this show, that whole event was inspired by questions from our listeners. Hi, I'm Cody. I'm Chris. We live in Ankeny, Iowa. Our question is... How do robots work? How does a robot work? My name is Connor, and I'm from Richmond, Utah. My name is Akash from Diamond Bar, California. Hello, I am a robot from Diamond Bar, California. How 
were robots invented? I would like to know how were my robot pals invented? Hi, my name's James from Romeo, Michigan. How are robots made? We are from Melbourne, Australia. I am Tycho. I am Jenny. I am June. I am Arla. My question is, how was the first robot made and what was its purpose? My name is Talia. I'm eight years old and I'm from Brooklyn, New York. And my question is, when was the first robot created and what was it like? That is a large number of children curious about robots. Were they programmed with so many questions? I think it just comes naturally. But before we dig into those questions, we need to decide what we mean by a robot. Hi there. Good morning. How are you? Very well. How are you? Ilan Norbach is a professor of robotics at Carnegie Mellon. He says one way to figure out what's a bot and what's not is to start with humans. We have sensors. We can perceive the world with things like our eyes and our fingertips and our smell, our, our nose. And we can think. We can consider what to do next. And then we can act. We can push back on the world. So I can move that mug of water or I can make a really good chocolate chip pancake. And those three things, the ability to sense the world, to think about what to do next, and then to actually do something, those three, we think, are really special because they give us the ability to connect to the world really thickly and deeply. And robots are usually, that's a label we use for things that are machines that have those three characteristics also. So a robot can sense the world, decide what to do with that information, and then do that thing. With those criteria in hand, let's go back in time and search for robots to see if we can find the first. It's the late 1770s, around 250 years ago. There's a little barefoot boy sitting at a desk. He dips his feathered quill in ink, pulls it out, and starts writing a poem. Now, this wouldn't be too extraordinary if this were an actual boy, except this boy is a machine. Meet the writer, a mechanical doll made by a Swiss watchmaker named Pierre Jacquet Droz. Ah, my beautiful invention. His arms and eyes move. He writes on real paper. And not just one poem. He can write many poems. A parcel of poems. And, get this, he wasn't programmed using a microchip. Because I don't even know what that is. Is it a chip in my fine china teacup? A wood chip? A chip on my shoulder? I have no idea. Because whatever it is, it hasn't been invented yet. Instead, I built this from an intricate set of gears with over 6,000 moving parts. Go me! The writer is so lifelike that some experts consider this the first robot. But it doesn't do the thinking or sensing parts that we mentioned earlier, so let's keep looking. It's now 1948, and we're in England. There are two machines rolling around. They're short, squat, they have three wheels and a sensor guiding them. Meet Elsie and Elmer, my tortoises. These bots were built by William Gray Walter, and yeah, they kind of look like robo-tortoises. I made Elsie and Elmer sensitive to light. Sometimes they drive toward it, sometimes away. And <laughs> this is so cool. When they are low on battery, they find a charging station and plug themselves in. Ha! 
<laughs> good tortoises. Very good tortoises. I love These turtles are widely considered to be the first robots who can do those three things that Elon Norbach mentioned. Remember, sense the world, decide what to do with that information, and then do it. But robots have come a long way since then. Ela says over the next 70 years, machines got smarter, faster, and way more entertaining. We have some really crazy stuff happening now. We have robots that can do backflips, robots that can jump, robots that can juggle. And all of these hopping, jumping, backflipping robots are examples that are very dynamic. They can use lots of energy to do pretty amazing things. And that's a whole new regime of robotics, the ability to move in really fast and responsive ways throughout the world. So, what about the robots of the future? Ela says we're already seeing them in hospitals, helping the elderly, driving our cars, and maybe someday they'll even be pets. Woof. Good boy, Sparko. But be warned, the future is probably going to get a little weird, too. One of the challenges we have in robotics is the speed with which robots are getting more and more capable and becoming less and less distinguishable from people. That is to say, you can call a call center today and try and reserve a ticket on an airplane, and you know if you're talking to the robot voice or the human being. That distinction is going to disappear. It's going to be harder and harder when you call something or when you text somebody to know whether you're getting an answer from a human being or whether there's actually a machine answering you on behalf of a corporation or a human being. In the future, any voice could be a robot. I could be a robot. But I'm not a robot. I promise. Excuse me, Molly. That is interesting for the humans to learn. But I would like to meet a robot now. Can we please meet a robot? Yes, these robots are going to be represented by their builder, Julia Ebert. She's a roboticist from Harvard, and she and her robots joined us on stage at Robot Stravaganza. And helping us with the interview, you'll hear co-host Ritika Gurjar from Arlington, Massachusetts. Here's Ritika. Okay, um, what robots do you have? These are the uh, robots that are called the Locomotion of Autonomous Robots via Aggregation, which, if you spell that out, is LarvaBot. Uh, and that's because these are actually robots inspired by insect larvae. You'll notice they don't look a lot like insects, but what we want to look at is uh, how do you make robots do things like insects do? And in this case, I watched a YouTube video where there were some cool insect larvae that climbed on top of each other, and I thought, I want to make a robot that does that. And I figure out how we can make ro groups of robots work together. So I have a question. Why make robots inspired by nature? Because there's a lot of stuff that nature's already figured out. So over millions of years of evolution, there are a lot of things that, that happen in our own brains or in the brains of uh, insects, for example, that make them be able to do things together that we haven't figured out how to do just starting from scratch ourselves. So we're gonna kind of cheat and learn from what biology has done in the first place. So these robots are going to move together as a group. Uh, and the idea here is that if you have robots that move together as a group, they might be able to move faster that way by climbing on top of other robots, or they might have protection from predators. If they look like one giant insect altogether, then the predator is gonna get a little more intimidated by them. What potential uses could this have in the future? So the idea is there are a lot of things where you can't send a giant humanoid robot, because sometimes there are places that humans can't go. Uh, if you want to explore somewhere deep in the ocean or somewhere high up in the mountains, sometimes we might want to send robots 
that do things that humans can't. And sometimes it's more useful to have a lot of little robots than one big robot. If you want to explore the ocean, for example, and you send out your one giant, really expensive robot that's going to do a great job, and then a shark decides to eat it, well, there goes your robot, there goes your research. But if you send out a lot of little robots and a shark gets hungry, then you've still got 99 robots left to do your job for you. So what other aspects of nature could you use to make more types of robots that do different things? Well, that's why I have this cool fish robot right here. So there are a lot of cases where you can look at specific things that happen in biology that we might want to look at as a, as a tool to use in robots. This robot right here, it looks like a fish and it's got flappy fins like a fish because it turns out that's a really efficient way to move in the water. So if we want to make a robot, a little robot the size of a fish that swims in the water like a fish, we can give it fins to move like a fish. What are some of your favorite robots that you've seen that are inspired by other nature things like animals? So one of, one of my favorite robots is Wally. Uh, and you might not think of that as being bio-inspired. It really doesn't look like something from biology. But the original idea behind Wally is that you would have a lot of robots that would work together to compact trash into little cubes and make buildings out of them, big piles of trash. But that's also actually what termites do. Termites build all of these giant mounds in nature out of just the stuff that's lying around them. What potential big problems could these kind of robots help to solve in the world? Well, one of the things that I think would be cool to do when you can get a lot of robots that work together uh, is to do things collaboratively uh, where we might not want humans to be. The big rules of robots is you want to send robots to do things through the 3Ds, things that are dirty, dull, and dangerous. So for example, if there's a really tricky part of a construction job and someone might get hurt doing it, instead you could have a group of robots carry up this big heavy beam and plop it into place and you could have humans avoid getting hurt by that. Can we have a big hand for Julia and her larva bot? And thank you, Ritika, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Whoa, I learned so much. Hashtag robots rule. We're going to hear from another robot, one that actually talks in just a little bit. But first, it's time for the mystery sound. Mystery Here it is. Any guesses? There was a sound like metal. Is that my fellow robot? A robot? I thought you were a robot. That robot is also a robot. You humans have such trouble with names. Okay then, we'll see if you're right in just a little bit. We're working on a series of episodes all about the science of cooking and we want to hear from you. If aliens came to Earth and you could only serve them one dish to introduce them to the food of our planet, what would you serve them and why? The fate of humanity could be in your hands, so pick something good. Submit your dish suggestions at brainson.org contact. And while you're there, you could also send ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and questions. That's what Siga did. She wants to know... How do oysters make pearls? We'll answer that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. Plus, we'll also read the latest group of listeners to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. Keep listening. 
You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I am a robot. A robot, are you ready to go back to that mystery sound? Is my power on? Well, you're talking, so I think so. Yes. Then I am ready. I am always ready. Here it is. Any new guesses? Oh, yes. I originally thought it was my friend, a robot. But now I'm pretty sure it's my other friend, a robot. Okay. Well, here's the answer. My name is Hugo from Standish, Maine. I'm Hugo's dad, Brandon. And that was the sound of tapping taps in maple trees. Do you want to tell them about... Tapping maple trees? Yeah. How does and it work? So, you get a drill, get everything else. And after you tap it on, what do you hang on the taps? Um, a bucket. And then what, what drips into the bucket? Sap. And then what do you do with the sap? You boil it into syrup. Did you know maple syrup is a terrible robot lubricator? I found out the hard way, and... Now my arm is sticky. Yes, it is better on pancakes than on robots. Now, a robot. This next bit is all about how robots make some people nervous. Why? We are so delightful. Um, I'll let producers Mark Sanchez and Sandon Totten explain. For the most part, we've gotten along fine without robots, so they're, they're still a bit risky. Okay. Risky? I don't know what risk you're talking about. The risk that maybe one day we'll have plenty of robots taking care of all the nasty stuff we don't want to deal with. Our lives will be full of cool machines. Does not seem like a problem to me. That is the exact time that the robots take us over. Okay, okay, <laughs> guys, okay. I'm cool with that. Maybe they'll do a better job than we do, you know? I can tell you're we're in for another debate, right? Funny you should ask, Molly. Oh. It's, I happen yeah. to have a couple points here. Yeah, okay. I have a few points myself. Okay, well, I think we should do a <laughs> little so mini-debate. Okay, the question is, are robots good for humanity or bad for humanity? Any of you about, like, I think 90 seconds is fair. Ritika is going to be our judge. But you guys can chime in, too, so listen closely. Okay, I'm going to take out my little timer. We're going to sit back and relax while you guys do this. Okay, on your mark, get set, go. Robots are bad for humanity because if they do all the work, they'll make us lazy. Uh, have you ever seen Wally? I mean, that could be us. Out of shape, pampered, and useless. As much as I adore that little trash compactor, I don't want that. You don't want to be those people from Wally. Well, you know, there's some things that are really dangerous that we need robots like Wally and other robots to do. Like, for instance, saving puppies from burning buildings. People choke. Robots don't. How about helping patients with highly contagious diseases? Doctors can catch those diseases, robots can't. How about chopping onions? I cry every time, robots won't. Boom. That, but that is work, that is actual work, and people like to work. As a matter of fact, people need to work. work uh, jobs make us tough, they make us stronger, and that keeps our minds alert and learning. They give us purpose, and they bring out the best in us. Okay, okay, you wanna keep your mind alert? Robots do all the work, we can spend all our time doing creative pursuits like ballet, or mastering foreign languages, or painting really elegant portraits of pizzas. Ugh. If robots end up doing everything for us, what will stop them from becoming so intelligent that they realize they won't need us? 
I mean, we're just going to be parasites to them. And plus, if we're being real here, we're just going to program the robots to paint those pizzas. There's no way a robot can paint a pizza as pretty as my perfect painting of a pizza. Uh, but there's also some things we can't do. Like, we can't explore alien planets. Sometimes there's no, not enough gravity or not enough atmosphere. Maybe we can't monitor the health of the deepest oceans like we were talking about. And robots are perfect for all those things. And time. we should love robots. Robots. <laughs> no robots. Those were good points. Okay. After hearing that, what do you think? Robots good for humanity? Bad for humanity. Well, this is going to be a shocker because I think they are both right. Oh. I did not see that coming. I'll take that. Okay. Well, yeah. Why do you okay. think they're both okay. right? Okay. Because some things it is good to use robots for. For example, you said about a burning building. You don't want humans risking their lives to save people. Robots mm. will be easier. But Fair some enough. things robots shouldn't be used for. For example, like... Cutting an onion, we can do that ourselves. <laughs> I can't. Good point, good point. So let's hear what you guys think. Okay, if you think robots are bad for humanity, clap, cheer, do whatever you want, make some noise. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. If you think robots are good for humanity, make some noise. Well, I guess that's what to, happens when you host a robot event and invite people to come. Yeah, to be fair, this <laughs> is called like robot extravaganza. <laughs> yeah, it's not anti-robot extravaganza. That's next month. Yeah, yes. so see some yeah. of you there? Now we're going to hear from a guest who definitely sees how robots can be good for humans. Her name is Randy Williams, and she's from the personal robotics group at MIT. She brought her robot, Tega, with her. Tega's about as large as a basketball, but has a flat bottom that can sit on flat surfaces. Its body kind of looks like a Muppet or a stuffed animal. It's red and furry, and it has big blue eyes that move and a big mop of fluffy blue hair. You can head to our website, brainson.org, to see Tega in action. Tega and Randy joined Ritika and I on stage in Boston. Okay, so what exactly is artificial intelligence? Ooh, that's a tricky question. So artificial intelligence is actually kind of a lot of things, but I think the simplest answer would be, you know how people are very smart. So we all can do things like figure out math and learn how to read. Well, artificial intelligence is teaching a robot to do some of those things too. So you build it, so it's artificial, but it's intelligence. So it's the same kind of smartness. How do you teach a robot to be intelligent? You program it a lot. <laughs> so robots can learn different ways. You can either program it and you tell it exactly what to do. For example, let's say you wanted to make a robot mm, make you breakfast in the morning. So you can say, well, first pour me some juice and then cook my eggs and then eventually you'll have a robot that can do all those things. Or you can teach robots by having them learn from you. So you can tell your robot to watch me very closely and then you make breakfast and you show the robot and then the robot can learn how to do it itself. Why does that robot look so fluffy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is a robot that my lab is working on right now and his name is Tega. So Tega's job is to help children learn. So Tega likes to play games and tell stories and I'm actually gonna wake Tega up. Hey, Tega, how are you? How are you doing, Randy? Not too bad. Do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, I'm Tega. Whee! <laughs> <laughs> so, Tega, how about you tell us all where you're from? I'm from the moon. <laughs> Just kidding. 
<laughs> so in our lab, we build robots for education and for healthcare. And depending on what we're using our robots for, some of them may be cute and fluffy, like Tega, or some of them may be a little bit more adult, like Jibo. So, um, Tega, do you have a question for the audience? Guess what kind of robot I am? Any guesses? Shout it out if you have a guess. <laughs> well, I'm a learning companion robot for children. So we actually use Tega. We go to schools with Tega, and children get to play with him all day. Tega, can you tell us some of the things that you can do? Well, I can talk, and I can see, and I can hear, and I can move. I can do lots of things. And then Tega, you notice Tega has this little dot on his forehead? So inside of there, there's a camera. And that camera is looking at your face, and it can tell if you're happy or sad, or if you're looking kind of bored. And then he'll try and do things to keep you engaged so that you don't get too bored. How, so like, how do, so you, did you teach Tega what a bored face looks like? It, yeah, we took lots and lots and lots of pictures, like millions of pictures of bored faces, and happy faces, and sad faces, and frustrated faces. And then we use something called a neural net. So there's a special kind of artificial intelligence where you don't teach the robot everything. You just give it lots and lots of examples. And then the robot sort of kind of figures it out by itself. So now Tega can figure out by itself what kind of face you're making. Do you think robots can ever take the place of human interaction? I hope not. <laughs> so even though Tega is really cute, Tega's not a person. And sometimes he doesn't really, or it, sorry, doesn't really <laughs> understand. Um, everything the same way that we do. So people are kind of like way more important, I think. But Tega can be helpful for some things. So I've heard some people say they're worried, you know, as kids start interacting more with AI, like Alexa and Tega, that they might become rude because mm. you don't necessarily need manners to interact with Alexa. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think you should always be polite, even if it is just a robot. So sometimes... Don't tell on anyone, but I've seen people hit Tega or be really mean to Tega, and that makes me really sad. And I think it makes Tega maybe a little bit sad too. So if you have a robot, you have to be really nice to it. So even if it doesn't know about please and thank you yet, maybe you can teach it please and thank you. I mean, and like the kids in this audience are going to be really the first generation to grow up yeah. with AI. I mean, how is that going to maybe potentially shape their lives? In my opinion, it means that you all are going to be way better at robots than I could ever be, and the things that you're going to build are going to be so much cooler than what I can build. So I'm really just excited to see you know, what you create and how you build things that really help people, because that's what robots are good at, helping people. Awesome. Well, let's give it up for Randy and Tega and Ritika. Big round of applause. Thank you so much. That's it for today's Robot Stravaganza. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandin Totten, and Molly Bloom. We had engineering help this week from Mitch Hanley, James McCartney, and Johnny Vince Evans. And many super special thanks to Lauren D. and Brandon Santos, and Akito Ventroyer, Mary Cat, Joanne Farwell, Kauzi Krishnamurthy, Danielle Bradnan, Sheldon Ross, Howard Miller, Carl DeVries, Shruthi Bandyatka, Heidi Pickard, and Eric Ringham. Now, before we go... It is time for our moment of um. My name is Sega. I'm from Portland, Oregon, and I'm eight years old. My question is, how do oysters make pearls?
My name is Danielle Zacherl. I'm a professor at California State University Fullerton. I teach biology classes there, and I also do marine biology research. So first, it's important to know that actually all bivalved mollusks are capable of making pearls. So that includes things like clams, mussels, oysters, scallops. They can all produce a natural pearl, but it's an incredibly rare event. And typically it is because the bivalve, either the oyster or the mussel, is responding to some kind of irritant that gets into their shell. And that could be something like a sand grain, which is what most people commonly think helps create pearls or is the origin of a pearl. But actually more commonly, scientists believe that it's a parasite. It's actually a larval parasitic worm. So as soon as that parasite gets in there and starts to try to invade the body of the oyster, the oyster's surface cells, surface skin cells, will effectively surround that irritant or that parasite. And they start to produce a substance known as nacre. And nacre is, it's actually calcium carbonate and protein. And if you've ever looked at the interior of a mussel shell or of an abalone shell, and you've noticed how shiny and iridescent and beautiful looking it is, that is what nacre is. It's also called mother of pearl. And when they start to surround that irritant with this nacre, they also roll it around in their body. Um, it's thought that the heat of releasing the nacre rolls the pearl around, and that's why you get a perfectly smooth and round pearl. And over time, more and more layers of this nacre are secreted. So effectively, if you think about it, it's kind of like they're entombing this parasite in a permanent crypt that's made of nacre. So when you purchase a pearl, Typically, those actually aren't produced by oysters. A lot of them are produced by freshwater mussels or another bivalve that's called a pearl oyster, but it's actually not the same creature as the thing that you're eating when you eat an oyster. And um, that's how um, pearls are made. As beautiful and shiny as pearls, here's the latest group to be added to the Brains Honor Roll. These are the listeners who make this show possible by sharing their ideas, questions, mystery sounds, and drawings with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wesley from Townsend, Massachusetts, Lucy from Canton, Michigan, Lily from Richmond, Virginia, Alan from Washington, D.C., Ruby from Blue Mountains, Australia, Fritz from Fort Wayne, Indiana, Adam from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Ramsey and Cecily from Oklahoma City, Say from Toronto, Karen and Marion from Omak, Washington, Heath from Missoula, Montana, Noam from Nasushiobara, Japan, Calvin and Derek from Burlingame, California, Henry from San Francisco, Heidi from Verona, Wisconsin, Sebastian from Chesterton, Indiana, Wyatt from Greensboro, Vermont, Sasha from Melbourne, Australia, Juliet from Olympia. Washington, Elizabeth from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Mila from Albuquerque, New Mexico, Dhruv from Walnut Creek, California, Barathram from Chennai, India, Greta from New Ulm, Minnesota, Altai from Damascus, Maryland, Landis from Madison, Wisconsin, Lucy from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Sal from San Rafael, California, Ginny from San Antonio, Texas, Iris from Renton, Washington, Rowan and Baker from Warren, Rhode Island, Lillian and Fairbanks from Wake Forest, North Carolina, Jack and Natalie from Memphis, Tennessee, Ty from Encinitas, California, Ava from Portland, Oregon, Jack from Adelaide, Australia, Coda from Napa, California, Faith and Tim from Pontiac, Illinois, Elena from Portland, Oregon, Ryder from Pensacola, Florida, Santi and Daniel from Charlotte, North Carolina, Aaron from Marietta, Georgia, Serena from Louisville, Kentucky, and Anya from Highland, New York. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening. Brains on.